0: On this episode of the St. Philip Institute Podcast, we are going to talk about a new documentary on Hulu starring Salil Moonfry or Punky Brewster. I will show you some of the fundamental questions she asks about being a human being, the suffering, the, the difficulties, and how John Paul II would answer those questions from his encyclical Fetus at Ratio. So stay tuned, and I hope you enjoy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Eternal Father, you called Saint Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of Saint Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hi, and welcome back to the St. Philip Institute podcast. My name is Luke Arredondo, and I'm the Director of Faith Formation here at the St. Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization, and I'm happy to be with you again for uh, for our podcast. Today, um, I'm going to be talking about um, a documentary that is just come out on Hulu and there's some really really interesting and um, deep uh, themes in this documentary that that I really think from a Catholic angle and perspective we can shine a lot of light on. Um, I, I do want to just caution real briefly if you know if, if you have kids around I'm not going to be saying anything super explicit but it's a little bit more, kind of adult themes um, that, that that we'll be going through in the first part of this podcast. Um, again, nothing you know terribly uh, uh, over the top but just 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 a word of caution in, in case there are kids listening and you know that that presumes a lot that anybody is even listening about. Um, so here's here's what what has happened okay um Punky Brewster, uh, or Saleo Moonfry the the actress who played Punky Brewster from 1984 to 1988. Um, recently released a documentary on Hulu. It's called Kid 90. And uh, I don't do a whole lot of TV watching, um, and I and I can almost never get my wife to watch a documentary with me. But we saw the trailer for it, and it looked just fascinating. So, So I, I want to set up for you what it is that she did in this documentary and then kind of go through some of the big issues and themes that she talks about. Then transition in in the sort of the second half of of the show into uh, how I think John Paul II and Fulton Sheen uh, would respond to. Soleil Moonfry or just anyone who's in this documentary. So here's the setup, okay? Soleil Moonfry uh, portrayed Punky Brewster, as I said, from 1984 to 1988. It was this huge hit TV show. She was a, a child actress, child celebrity. And in the course of that, she, you know, had some very unique experiences. She became an overnight sensation, and everybody knew who she was. Everybody was always you know, trying to get uh, access to her, and she had to deal with a lot uh, that, that came with that fame. So when that show ended, uh, she sort of really didn't have much of an acting career after that. She tried to continue it, but a lot of things went on that just kind of landed her in sort of being a washed-up celebrity in, in some sort of way. She, to deal with that, uh, did a lot of diary and journal writing um, and also brought a video camera with her everywhere she went uh, to hang out with all of her friends, her family, her celebrity friends, her, you know, regular friends, if you want to call them that, uh, and her family life. And she documented her entire teenage, uh, all of her teenage years. And she saved every diary, every journal, she even recorded, this is like amazing that she had the the diligence to do this, Um, she recorded all of her voicemails for for, for many, many years and has just hundreds and hundreds of hours of video and then she just locked it in a box and didn't look at it for 20 years. Then recently, I guess during COVID probably, decided I'm gonna go Read the thoughts that I had when I was 14 uh, or 16 and 17. I'm going to watch all these videos that I made, you know, just hanging out with my friends and, and, and talking to them and just see who I was, um, who I was becoming, and, and to try to sort of make sense of all of that. And it is fascinating to look at what life was like. Um, in the 1990s, like growing up as a teenager in the 1990s, what that was like for her. Uh, but it's also painful. I mean, you think on the one hand, okay, this is a super, you know, super popular celebrity who had obviously plenty of money and must have had such a great life. And, you know, she she really didn't. Um, and it wasn't that her life was a complete disaster. You know, she, she didn't have some of the worst troubles that, you know, young celebrities might, might encounter. But, there were a lot of difficult things about her life. And what's so, what what struck me when I watched the documentary and, and, and my wife too, was even though she had all of these things in her favor that, you know, a lot of us wish we could have, it, it didn't exempt her from the difficulties of being a person. <laughs> and especially it didn't exempt her from the difficulties of being a teenager. And this is what really kind of drew me in as I was watching. All, all these bells were going off on my head that, okay, all of these things she's, going, she's, she's displaying in this documentary, all of the themes, like one after another, difficult to deal with, common experience, can cause a lot of heartache, and the church wants to point us to how to get through those things. Um, so to, I, I want to give you an example of some of the things and again uh so the, the name of the documentary is kid 90 it's on hulu uh, i I will warn you there there is a lot of language um, in, in the documentary um it's uh you know so just just be warned um but these are the things Issues that she deals with uh, and that her her friends were dealing with, too. Other child celebrities that she was friends with. um, Brian Austin Green, uh, who was on 90210, you know, said that essentially there were like 12 kids working in Hollywood. And so they all hung out with each other. So you see mostly Punky Brewster, Salil Moonfry, but some other people. And they, they deal with these issues. Their actual self, who they really are in their family, among their friends versus their celebrity, right? And there's there's a spiritual analog to that, right? Who other people think we are, who we present ourselves as, versus, you know, who God sees when he looks at us. That's a difficult thing for everybody. Not everybody has to deal with like, oh, well, this is who this is my normal self. And then when I'm in the public eye, you know, I have to put put on like this personality, there's this persona. Uh, but we all do have to deal with you know, how God sees us versus how other people see us. Um, so this is one of the big problems for her is, you know, everybody saw her essentially as this childhood actor. Even when she was growing up, they continued to see her as the kid who was on TV and they don't really know anything about her. Um, and that was, you know, a troubling thing for her and, and difficult for her to deal with. And she asked so many times, like, what am I going to be like when I grow up or who am I going to be? So she's asking questions of, of identity in, in her diaries and in the videos, and she's asking her friends, like, you know, how do you deal with some of this stuff? So, so this this personhood question was was a big one. Um, issues with drugs and alcohol. Uh, one of the things that, that fascinated me about the documentary is that she was an outspoken, you know, uh, proponent of don't do drugs and, you know, don't drink, she went to school, to, you know, rallies at schools and everything. But the, then, you know, in, in her own private life, indulged in a lot of drugs and alcohol and um that was another again public image versus who I really am you know she she knew that it was a good thing and and that probably the right thing to tell people not to do drugs but she was still doing them and that you know was a <laughs> a very difficult thing for her to wrestle with um questions of chastity she actually um you know saleil moonfry in, in her in her public life talked about being a virgin till she was you know in 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 her late teens um and and that was that made waves at the time so there's there's a really fascinating you know way in which she looks at that question as an adult like what did I think the purpose of this was? And I, and I don't think that she necessarily got the answer right, but she she shows in the documentary, like, I think a typical wrestling with this question of like, what is in fact the purpose of chastity? Or what is sex for? Um, you hear her discussing it as a teenager, that like, you know, it can be used in lots of different ways and some people make it a game and, and all this stuff. And she's really wrestling with that in, in a very authentic and honest way. Um, and it's a good reminder for us, I think, of the fact that that's still, that's always been a question. It's still, it's a question now, but it's not like it's a new question. Um, one of the things that, that they deal with in that documentary is, is death, and in particular, suicide. She knew many people who were, almost all of them famous and, you know, wealthy and powerful, and they, they couldn't deal with all of the pain in their life from these questions, like, who am I? What is the purpose of my life? Like, are, you know, are drugs and alcohol, something good or bad for me? And like, am I getting the question right about chastity? That was causing a lot of pain. So she had a lot of pain, but she knew several people who wound up committing suicide. And she, as she looks back on it, she thinks, what could I have done to prevent that? Um, how did I not see that they were missing this? That they that they had all this pain. How did I miss that? Um, there's there's one point in the, in the documentary where she's she's holding a camera. You know, she's a teenager and she's asking people at a party, "What's your philosophy of life?" And it's you know it's, it's all these celebrities that that, that you would uh, many of them who, who you would know and and they have you know sort of trite answers about you know having as much fun as possible without hurting anybody um, or you know uh, trying to be self sufficient. But one of the the people says there is no meaning to life, and I think that's why it's so hard for people to get through it, and that's why I've thought so much about suicide. And this guy later winds up killing himself. So there's these major questions just littered throughout this documentary of what, what John Paul II, in fact, would call the big questions. And they're the big questions because they're the kinds of issues that transcend individual experiences and speak to human nature. So if you're a human being, you got to deal with understanding who you are, what your identity is. You need to know that. Like, and who are you? You're a child of God. That's your fundamental identity. And when we miss that, when we put our self-identity in, I'm a celebrity or I'm a good student or a good athlete or whatever, then when that thing that we have latched onto, you know, starts falling apart, our entire self can fall apart. Um, chastity you know sex and marriage and divorce these are questions that, that came up in the documentary these these are things that people have to deal with all the time the objectification of women Salil Moonfry discusses how that was a really big problem for her as she went through puberty uh, and it caused her a lot of difficulties in her personal life and in her professional life and and all of these things I I just as I was as I was watching it uh, because I'm a, a very sort of weird kind of person very nerdy kind of guy I thought oh 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 Fides et Ratio, Fides et Ratio, and you know I'm sure many of you listening are, are are saying what you you have thoughts in Latin what like what do you mean Fides et Ratio? This is an encyclical from John Paul II. He wrote it in 1998, and it is it is a letter, an encyclical letter on the relationship between faith and reason. Fides, faith, Ratio, reason. Um, and actually, it was the first homework assignment I had in the seminary was to read this entire encyclical, and it took me six days, and I highlighted. Almost the entire thing because it was so confusing and sa- all of it sounded so important. but eventually I kind of got some of the big picture and and this is what I want to bring to now this second part of, of the episode is you know how John Paul II would respond to Punky Brewster. John Paul II, if he was faced with you know watching this documentary, how would how would he help her walk through these things because what she's doing in the documentary is looking back at the footage and asking questions about like, how did this impact who I am? Who was I at that time? How did I get to where I am now? Um, Where's how does it all make sense? And what you see is, to her, it seems like the struggle itself was the purpose. Like you have to wrestle with these difficult things, and in the end, you you kind of don't know if you got it right, and that's sort of the point. Um, And that. I found really disappointing about about the documentary, and you know, maybe I should should not be surprised that I don't find the documentary by a celebrity to be, you know, philosophically or theologically uh, pleasing in its conclusion. But that's not how John Paul II would answer these questions, right? So how how would he? Well, John Paul II in Fides et Ratio, one of the things that he does is he tries to lay out fundamentally what is the human person, and this is. Always, John Paul II's concern: What is a human person? We don't know what something is, or or how it's supposed to be used, and it's very difficult to evaluate whether or not things are going okay. Right? This is why I can't repair a car. I don't know how things work. I look at it, and it doesn't make any sense to me. And consequently, you know, my judgments about whether the car has been fixed or not are useless. I don't understand anything about that. Um, John Paul II is right when he says that the Church is an expert. In humanity, And so he says, we all wrestle with these very huge fundamental questions like, who am I? Like, really, who am I? What's my identity? What is my purpose? What is the purpose of everything? Does God exist? Why is there evil? Or why is there suffering? What in fact is love. These kinds of questions, John Paul II says, we can't get away from. And a lot of times what we do, and I've certainly done this myself, is we try and distract ourselves with things that are going to, in the immediate future, kind of fill us up, but that are going to push these big fundamental questions about, like, where's this all going? What's the purpose of everything? Um, Does, you know, my life matter? We push those huge questions to the side and try and fill ourselves up in the here and now with something else. And John Paul II said that that's never going to satisfy us because fundamentally who we are is we are religious beings. St. Augustine says this in the Catechism, man is by nature a religious being, but we're also philosophical. And I think that when when I say people are philosophical beings— Probably a lot of you get weirded out. Like I'm not a philosophical being. I don't even know what philosophy is. But you know this to be true once you get a better definition of philosophy. So I think a lot of us think of philosophy is that's uh, you know some weird classes you can take at a university and you'll you'll learn things like we don't know anything or I don't know if I'm even really here right now that kind that kind of that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I I have a philosophy degree and 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 that was not my experience but. I was studying philosophy at a seminary, so a little, probably a little different. But philosophy is not a subject to be studied. Can you study it? Yes. Is that what it is? No. Right? It's the love of wisdom. That's that's literally the, the meaning of philosophia in Greek. Um, and and what John Paul II means when he says we're philosophical beings is that we cannot rest until we try and confront these very basic questions of, of what it is to be a person, who I am, the meaning of life, those kind of things. In other words, they're not sort of boutique projects for people who have time to pursue philosophy. They get to consider what life is all about, and the rest of us are just, we have to go about doing the practical day-to-day things that we have to do. And you know this when you when you meet little kids. All right, I've got five children myself, uh, from the age of nine down to uh, an eight-month-old. And kids love to try and find the reason behind something, like the reason behind your decision to tell them that you have to go to bed or clean your room or you can't have another candy, right? And the, how, do they, how do they get at that reason? They ask one question that, can, that, that, that almost always is difficult to answer. Why? Why? They want to know why something, why this, why that, why can't I, why can't I, because they're curious and they're in accordance with, they're operating in accordance with their philosophical nature, their status as uh, philosophical beings. And what happens to us a lot of times as we get older is we we kind of lose that sense of wonder because there's so many other things we have to deal with that are practical that seem to have answers that we can get right now or that we need to come up with right now. And those bigger questions of like, where is this all going? What's it all for? It's like, oh, I don't have time for that. And this is what I kept thinking of as I was watching this documentary is you see all these teenagers wrestling with these very big questions that are on their heart and they don't they kind of don't know where to go with them. It's like they have the exact kind of questions that you know the church wants to help us answer, um, and but they, it's like that they, they didn't know that that was an option. There was like no discussion about spirituality, about faith, prayer, none of those things. And at the end of the day, this is what really I think they needed. So John Paul II says in Fetus et Ratio, it says that we want a final explanation, a supreme value, which refers to nothing beyond itself, and which puts an end to all questioning. And this is a really important idea. We all have these deep, big questions in our hearts. Sometimes we try and shove them out, and we don't want to think about them, but they're there. And not only do we have these questions, we want a final answer that tells us that all of this stuff we're going through, it is sensible in some kind of way if we can see it the right way, we see how it fits together there's there's a purpose to it and a meaning to it And this is the big idea of, of Fido Seratizio the encyclical that I thought man if if they had an awareness of this you know uh, and, and not and don't misunderstand me I don't I don't mean to say that well if those if those celebrity teenagers had just you know waited till 1998 and got their copy of this encyclical and read it, then all their problems you know would be solved. Of course, that's not <laughs> what I mean. But if they had an awareness that all of these things they were struggling with and wrestling with kind of on their own, that they felt alone in and they didn't know where to go, they're common problems. And there's there's a wisdom and a patrimony of the church and of humanity that can help us get out of them. So John Paul II says in Fetus at Ratio, the human being, the one who seeks the truth, because there are all these people wrestling ultimately with questions of the truth of the human experience. The human being who seeks truth is also the one who lives by belief. So we want to know, but in order to know, it almost requires that we believe something. We've got to believe in some big things to answer some of these big questions. So John Paul II puts it this way, and I love this. He says... The natural curiosity that we all have as as human beings and that makes us philosophers is a gift given to us by the Father. It's a gift the Father gives us. He makes us curious. He makes us restless so that we'll go outside of ourselves into the human community, into the family of the church, where we can be nurtured and pointed in the right direction to the answers. And ultimately, the answer to all of these things is Jesus Christ. So if we can say that the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith, which we do, I think we could also say Jesus is the source and summit of all of our knowledge and our desires. Like, we know things because Jesus, you know, in some way wants us to know them. And very, very, very big, we desire to know the answers to these questions because. The Father has given us these 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 desires and these questions, and the answer is in Christ himself. God gives us, he implants these big questions in us um, so, that, so that we wonder about them, right? And this is sort of like what the natural law is about, that everybody has this basic awareness of some fundamental realities and it points us in the right direction, but it's not going to get us all the way there just by ourselves. And this is, a, again, another part of the documentary that, that really fascinated me is you know, they, you have these teenagers who know each other, sure, and they have friends, yeah, but a lot of their wrestling with, with some of these bigger questions seems like they felt like they had to figure it out themselves, like they couldn't ask anybody else or trust anybody else to help them, and that's that's a fundamental problem. You know, if, we, if you ever think your, your problems as a human being are something only you can understand, that's dangerous. That's that's where Satan wants to put us, to make us feel like, oh, this thing I'm dealing with is so bad that I, I, nobody else could could know about it, nobody else could understand it, nobody else could help me. Satan wants to isolate us, put us all individually dealing with these things and make us feel like we don't know the answers, we don't know where to turn, and we don't know how to deal with this pain. And what the human community wants us to do, or what, what the church wants us to do, rather, is remember that... We're social beings by nature. We're called to communion and to community with others. And it's in that shared experience that we can really get some peace. Fulton Sheen, I know you were waiting for it. Uh, If not, you should start waiting for it. Whenever I'm doing an episode, just just wait. Eventually the Fulton Sheen reference is coming. And if you're playing the at home video game, uh, the video version of this, you'll see one of my trusty Fulton Sheen volumes next to me. And I'm not going to even read from it, I just like to have it, put my hand on it. it, makes me feel like Fulton Sheen's got me, he's got me. He had a TV show called Life is Worth Living, and just the title of it, Life is Worth Living, it's like a big, like, screaming, you know, slogan, like, hey, life is, in fact, worth living. Are there difficulties? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. Is there a way out, though, and does it actually mean something? Is it all worth it in the end? Also... Big fat yes, Um, and what he says in the very first episode of the show—this is the nineteen fifty-two, I think—is you know what he wanted to to address in that very first episode of his TV show is a lot of people seem like they're bored or they're hurt and they're angry because they found life to be boring. in the in the fifties, people were deal, dealing with the same issues. They just felt like they didn't know what mattered. They they couldn't find anything to love. Uh, they felt like they didn't know the answers to anything. And and because of that, like you know, there's just a purposeless life that has no reason. No, it's not going anywhere, and it's unbearable. And Fulton Sheen's answer is. Of course, it's unbearable if you don't know where it's going, right? That's like being on a road trip and not knowing where you're going and and different than when I'm on a road trip and I'm just lost because I'm bad at following the map. This is, you don't have a map and you're just aimlessly wandering, right? So he said, when life has no intentional destiny, no, when it has no bivouac, no harbor, no ideal, it is full of mediocrity and tedium it then becomes completely exteriorized with a consequent loss of much power and peace. In other words, those internal questions about who I am, where I'm going, what, what is there love, you know, does God exist, what am I made for? When we try and keep those down and not deal with them, what Fulton Sheen was saying is, we then look to the external world to fill up that longing, to, to give us at least a distraction. If we're not going to get an answer, let's get some distraction. Let's have some fun. Let's get in, in, engaged in something that's going to immediately make us, you know, satiate us a little bit, satisfy us a little bit. But he says, we're, we're never going to get there. We're never going to see how this life can be bearable unless we face those bigger problems. There's an interior dimension that we have to deal with. And he says that, you know, if you think about the purpose of human beings and look at our nature, how we're created, it can reveal our destiny and, and what we're created for. So what makes human beings different than everybody else? So he talks about, you know, sort of how there's single-celled organisms and plants and trees and animals and stuff, and all of those things have a certain existence that's, mod- that's you know, characterized by certain things. But human beings are different than all of that. Human beings are different because we desire life, but not a limited or temporal sort of life. Like none of the life that we can experience here will ever satisfy us, whether that's your regular humdrum existence in East Texas, right? Or your celebrity, you know, status in Hollywood as a teenager, the life that you can live here and now can never finally satisfy you. And that's that's the point. This is not supposed to. But the desire for that richness of life that, that finally ultimately satisfies us is a good desire when we know what to do with it. Christopher West uses this image always of, of where we want to launch our rockets. He always, he always always says that, that, you know, we have all of this welling up within us and we just want to shoot for the stars, but we don't know where to aim our rockets. So we, we take this desire for, you know, a, a great life. And because we don't know that that really means eternity and union with God, that's really where it goes. And when we orient ourselves that way, then everything else will make sense. But when we don't and we say, okay, uh, I, I have this, Whoa, this desire for life welling up within me, and I'm gonna uh, point it at—I um, don't know—getting uh, a hundred thousand followers on Instagram, you know, something like that. And it could be less trivial than that, but that's <laughs> maybe an uh, overly trivial uh, idea. That won't work, you know. The the, lo- the rocket can't launch when it's aimed so low. We have to point it in the right direction. So Fulton Sheen says we have this this burning desire for life that is satisfied by eternal life. We have this burning desire for knowledge, but not like I want to know a little bit about this one subject or I want to know everything about this one subject. We, we want to know everything, and we, we, we somehow want to know it all at once. The, in other words, we don't desire knowledge so much about, you know, individual things as a truth that holds it all together. And that truth is ultimately found in God. Uh, and that's something that is that is more mystical than it is practical, all right? You, you, you are brought into it more than you encompass it and know it all at once. But that desire is a good desire, In when we try and ignore it and fill ourselves up with something else, it's not going to work. When we pay attention to it, it can lead us to, again, Christ to eternity. And finally, it says we want love, and we want a love without jealousy, without limits, that never ends, an ultimately satisfying love we can count on that's never going to fail us and that will always be there. And, and he says, and that's a good desire. Well, when we take these desires and we, we're just aiming at our, uh, an earthly version of them, or we try and suppress them and forget about them altogether, it's not going to work. All of these desires that we have for life, for knowledge, for truth, for love— they can finally be re- realized only in the eternal life of heaven, but they can be fulfilled. We got to keep them in our view, right? When we cut them out and we think that life makes sense without ultimate answers to these really fundamental questions of who I am and, you know, what the purpose of life is and all of that, then, then life can become a struggle. But what I think John Paul II and Fulton Sheen would want to say to, you know, Salil Moonfry or Punky Brewster or whoever else is those things that you're dealing with, they're real. We don't wanna discount those sufferings and those problems, but we wanna draw you out of them by pointing you to the ultimate solution and answer to all these questions, which is not necessarily gonna make your life pain-free, but is gonna give you the the framework within which you can understand how it all does fit together. So again, um, the the documentary is kid 90 it's by uh, it's on hulu and there is a lot a lot of language adult themes definitely not something to watch with your kids um but but some fascinating raw human things going on there um that that are ripe for for answers of the gospel um and and i i think that that it's it's something interesting for us to to sort of observe and see, like, how can we as Catholics respond? Not necessarily to Punky Brewster. I mean, she probably doesn't need or care, but it, any person that you know who's dealing with these same things— these are some of the, the answers that I would would point you toward. Um, so yeah, that's 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 what I wanted to say about that episode. Uh, I mean, about that documentary uh, in this episode. Also, um, please, if you have enjoyed listening to this or or watching this, um, we would love it if you could subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, Click the bell for notifications so that that you get notifications every time we we post a new video, which is every Wednesday, uh, pretty regularly on Wednesdays, every now and then something else, but that way you won't miss it. Also, especially if you're listening on iTunes, it would really help us out if you could leave not just a a starred review like with however many stars, and and obviously you're going to put five, uh, but a written review explaining what it is about this podcast that gives it some value uh, would really help us not only in our stats, but also to know better, like what is the the, the service that we're providing here with this podcast each week. So again, please, please uh, like, share, subscribe, um, and and leave comments on uh, or reviews on iTunes for us. It would really help us out. And that's going to be all for me this week. Thank you very much for, for joining me and uh, I will be back soon. God bless.